You're listening to Football Friday Night On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with high school football scores, updates, and news by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. And welcome into the first edition of the Football Friday Night Podcast On Demand. I'm your host, Adrian Broadus. Joined with me is my co-host, Alex Nicolas. Uh, Throughout this high school football season, we're going to be recapping each week. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things involving high school football and uh, best of all we'll be bringing on some great guests here to join us on this podcast alex what's going on my man so excited to kick things off with you after a week a busy week one of high school football here in the borderland oh man feels good to be back on football friday night uh feels good to be in a press box and watch some live football man and and great for the kids great for the communities uh the band the cheerleaders everybody gets to get get back out again and participate and uh, it was good just to see the pageantry and also um, some really good football this weekend even though I I, I witnessed three balls but still some good football good storylines already starting to emerge in week one Um, and that's what we're here for that's what we're here to talk about so you know every week's a a different challenge but um, I thought this week um, you know the fact that we didn't really have a a full season per se last year um, just seeing kind of everybody back uh, you know seeing fellow media people, seeing coaches again, uh, you know, that really made it feel like a little bit of normalcy, I guess you could say, over the past year, what we've been going through. Hey, Alex, I've known you forever. I mean, I know you're a big football guy, just like me, and and we we just get this, I guess it's just this energy whenever high school football season comes around. Uh, I, I feel like it's just so fun to talk about the different storylines, to just follow the different prospects all across the city of El Paso, but just to come off last year, where we really didn't have a chance to do that where we would be questioning week after week whether there was going to be a game or which game was going to be rescheduled when and then at times it was like how can we fit three games in the span of 10 days it was all over the place I'm just glad that we have some normalcy man and and for you I'm just you know honestly I'm just really happy to be working with you again man this is gonna be exciting Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you had, what, Monday games, Tuesday games, Wednesday. I mean, who could keep up with all the cancellations? And, um, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's good to have some sort of normalcy, especially for the kids. Um, you know, they work so hard in the summer, uh, you know, in that weight room getting ready. You know, the band kids work hard early 6 in the morning. You know, if you live in one of those neighborhoods around schools, you hear them. So all that work that goes into it. And, uh, you know, for us to, to be able to be blessed to watch and talk about it, man, you know, it is it is something special, something, you know, my eighth year covering high school football. Um, you know, there is something about Texas high school football, man. You know, when those lights go on, uh, you know, when that band is, is there and, you know, you see all the cameras. And, um, you know, for me, I'm a big, what do you do in the playoff guy, you know, or what do you do in the playoffs guy? That's, you know, what I always look at. So, you know, getting week to week, starting to follow those storylines, those playoff races and, um, you know, things – starting maybe not taking shape but you know you look early on in the season you know you kind of see who's going to be there um you know from all that pre-game uh pre-season hype and I think that's what's exciting for us is to kind of see those storylines develop that you know even we create in the media just because we've been around and kind of know these teams pretty well well let's kick it off right let's get into this week one and, and recap what happened this past week in high school football across El Paso we'll kick things off Thursday it was out at Austin High School you were there uh taking stats I was on the sidelines taking some photos it was Andrus Chapin in that game the Golden Eagles really overpowered the Huskies on the ground and uh, I love the different weapons that they flashed at us what was your big takeaway for that from that one Alex just getting to watch the Andrus Golden Eagles for the first time you know their physicality I mean it really really stood out to me I think that was really a, a 
a key opener in that game. Um, you know, Andrews will tell you they started slow. Chapin will tell you that they were in that game early. Um, I think it was a combination of both. I think Chapin um, showing that, you know, they, they're going to have some weapons this year to compete in their district. Um, but really, Andrews' physicality up front, uh, particularly their front three on defense. They run an odd front with those three down linemen. And, um, you know, looking at those nose tackles in there, Renee Hernandez, Daniel Sanchez, those guys uh, really, really got after it. And, and really the big play in that game that opened it up was a big block that sprung uh, Jeremiah Cooper for a 60-yarder, and then Malachi Doe punches it in four, a couple plays later from four yards out. And I, th I thought just their physicality and the way that they played at the point of attack um, really separated that, th that talent gap that's already going to be there for Andres for most teams in their district and add that extra physical element that talking with Coach Chris Taylor, and by the way, his first, uh, first career win as the actual Andres head coach, come to find out he's – uh, was an interim head coach during the uh, the Coach Brown days, so he's he's won at Andrus before, but you know, now he has his now that he's the man, his oh, first head coaching stats. job. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so he talking with him after the game. He wants Andrus to be physical, and that's something that's really been missing over the past four or five years. And and Andrus playing with that edge, with the talent that they have, that's going to be very dangerous going forward. But depth is an issue this year. They only suited out about thirty guys. Um, you know for for Andrus so that's a little bit different of what we're used to seeing a deeper Andrus team but their physicality stood out and, and obviously the multiple playmakers Malachi Doe Jeremiah Cooper that quarterback uh, Elias Duncan a junior who's a really good looking physical runner can throw the ball six foot broad shoulders about two maybe 205 maybe 190 195 to 205 maybe I'm giving him a little too much there um, but just a well-built kid that was in the program all summer put in the work and you could see it going out. And that's a very, very talented team uh, with that physical nose, that physical approach, that's tough come playoff time. And, and them showing it week one was very, very impressive. Can you elaborate a little bit more on Jeremiah Cooper? The offseason that he had was so special. The different uh, schools and colleges, you know, that he had a chance to go out and travel to. Then he chooses Iowa State. Well, in the first game, he looked as explosive as advertised. He looked like he was ready to get back on the gridiron and, and really help out Andrus in a big way. I feel like he's going to play with a lot of momentum this year for all the accolades that he's received over the offseason. Uh, you know, the you know the attention that he uh, gained as well. I really liked what we saw from Jeremiah Cooper in week one. Yeah, you could tell he's ready for the season. You know, that first half, Andres built a, a pretty sizable lead. Um, and then first series of the second half, you know, they go wildcat with Cooper, really just trying to kind of slay the dragon and then put, you know, whatever acronym you want to use for, you know, putting it on him towards the end. And Cooper, in six, seven straight runs, they, they started off with a little tempo and Cooper's just zigzagging. You know, he's running through the, he's running through these gaps. He's making guys miss. The game is so slow to him. That's just how talented he is. You know, he's moving so quick, but in his mind, everything is just slowed, slowed down to him. You talk about his experience, you know, that over the summer with his recruitment, you know, looking at his experience playing since a freshman, um, you know, he's just on a different level level athletically against the teams that he's going to face this year, at least in town. And that right there just really showed where he's at. And, you know, an easy drive coming out of that third, uh, coming out of the second half for Andrews. And that right there showed me how ready this kid is for this season. You know, he just makes it look so easy, so effortless. Um, you know, and really he's listed as a defensive back. Um, at Iowa State, but you know they can put him at any on, and on either side of the ball, and of course in the return game and special teams that you know I would think that they would use him in that uh, area, but you still got you know hopefully 
15 more games to go if we're talking about Andrews going to a state title game. Um, but he's just so talented, man. He's special, uh, one of the more special kids that I've seen. And also finding out that he has another little brother now. This is the Tristan Cooper started this Cooper run, and obviously his father's a great athlete as well. Um, but there's another Cooper that's in seventh grade that's supposed to be better than Tristan and Jeremiah. So we still got more Coopers to watch out for uh, as their recruitment expands too. So just a very talented family through and through. And can't forget about the older, uh, the other sister, Hannah Cooper, who's a hooper herself. Uh, she went also uh, to play college ball as well. So a very talented family there in the Northeast. It reminds me of the Romney family, just the north northeast yep. version of that. I mean, yep. you kind of look at Baylor Romney, Gunnar Romney, and Tate Romney, and what they've been able to do. I love that brotherhood connection right there. Great, great. Uh, and I'm so happy that you mentioned that, Alex. Moving along to some of the other Thursday night games, Bel Air didn't allow a Socorro touchdown until the fourth quarter. One of the big players on def- on defense for the Highlanders was Zach Martinez. He had a fumble recovery, had an interception as well for Bel uh, Bel there they uh, you know Socorro they've struggled early on into this season uh you know with uh, head coach Tony Hensley I'm not too sure what we're going to expect from or what we should expect from the Bulldogs this season and for Bel Air um do you take anything into consideration the fact that they only scored 21 points against Socorro there Alex yeah that's surprising but again what I keep harping on or looking at at Bel Air is they're replacing a three-year starter at quarterback um, with Adrian Parsons who graduated. They're trying to figure things out. Now they have some weapons around them. I know they return. I believe his name's Fernie Aguilar, three-year starter, um, you know, should be a factor in there. And, you know, you're looking at Socorro, um, you know, what they're, what seems like with their mistakes were, were just basic, you know, lining up those basic stuff that, that really has to get cleaned up. Um, there's some size, there's some speed there with, with Socorro. So it is a little looking at Bel Air is a little bit impressive as far as how they're able to kind of contain that despite Socorro's self implosions, I guess you can say in that game. Um, but it, it just shows that Bel Air is going to be tough, you know, whether they're scoring points or, you know, defense hasn't been their strength over the past three or four years. That's been really something that you look at Bel Air and they've really struggled on the defensive side so you know still the jury's a little bit out on on how to take this game away or take away from this game about Bel Air but I think you know you point out something that you know that's that's pretty evident they only scored 21 points when you know you look at the past couple years with that hurry up offense that they run um that spread system that that coach Eric Sagan has uh, implemented there that is a little bit worrisome but again you know still got to see a couple more games to see what Bel Air truly is. How about that Irvin 49-27 victory against Hanks? I mean, I know with Joe Urias, he has took the Rockets to the playoffs in two of the last three years. John Nutson was the the leader, actually, for Irvin in this game. 232 passing yards and four passing touchdowns, along with three rushing touchdowns. A pretty impressive performance uh, by Irvin early on into the season as they pretty much dominate Hanks in in that first opener. You know, experience always wins early on in the season. And, you know, like you said, Nelson, he's a guy that's been around, you know, getting off to that great start. And, and, you know, this is an Irvin program under Coach Urias that's, you know, starting to expect to win games like this. And, and, you know, maybe it's a a surprise to people on the outside. um, But, you know, this is what happens when you have that experience and when you've built that sort of culture like Coach Urias has. So, um, you know, seeing that, you know, I expected Irvin to win in that game, but for them to to go away, to win as handily as they did in 
to put up that production, you know, shows that they're really a true contender in that district. Um, and then you look at the Hank side of it, you know, they're trying to rebuild um, from, you know, he, what I heard last year, what I'm hearing is that Hank's senior class totally had opt out of the whole, or their junior class, or one of their classes that's supposed to be there this year, a majority of their players have opted out and didn't return, um, you know, whether it was their senior class or their junior class last year. So they're missing a lot of pieces. Coach Blair is, is dealing with a lot of youth there. So you're looking at experience versus youth, and, and, and that's an expected thing now from the Urban Rockets. They want to win those type of games with their talent um, and with their experience. So that, that was very, very telling of how competitive Urban's going to be inside their district this year. San Eli, Anthony, the only thing I wanted to mention in this game, uh, San Elizario with a 41 nothing victory. Raymond Hernandez scored uh, three different times, had 169 rushing yards in this game. How about defensive lineman Eddie Cardenas, who had a sack, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery? I mean, absolutely dominant for San Eli. Anything you want to add there, uh, Alex, on uh, San Eli's big win against Anthony? You know, that's telling that, you know, you know, looking ahead at them, they're going to be tough. They're going to be nipping at the heels of the Riverside, the Clinch, the Mountain Views in that district. So another good experience win early on. There is there is some talent still out there, um, you know, from the Ray Aguilar era. And I believe this is year two um, of the new head coaching regime there. So that's good to hear that, you know, that's going to be a very competitive district as far as placement in the district title uh, standings there. So Sanelli showing that they could be one of those uh, dark horses out there in, in 1-4-A. Good stuff there. Hey, we got a lot to re uh, recap from Friday. A lot of out-of-town games and, you know, some really good in-town games that really stuck out to me. I want to start out-of-town with Jefferson's 44-27 victory against Alpine. I mean, the Silver Foxes going on the road, pushing past a 21-7 deficit at the half. They were trailing the majority of this game, and they come from behind and beat Alpine. It was Nathan Alcala. I mean, we know him as the star at quarterback but he really helped out the Jefferson Silver Foxes with two picks on defense and he returned one for a touchdown. Man, I, I can't I couldn't be happier for a guy like Nathan Alcala for what a performance he had in this comeback victory for Jefferson. I'm gonna go ahead and call you know Alcala's performance, like you mentioned, uh, the greatest single game performance in Jefferson Silver Fox history. I mean, I watched that huddle uh, a couple hours ago and it was so good. I had to put it on the big screen here and cast it to watch it again, uh, you know, to give him that big screen love. Cause man, you know, this kid has been doing it. Um, I believe now a three year starter, a uh, multiple year guy that's been there. And, and, you know, that's a big win for Jefferson. You know, I, I know there was some talk um, in, in, in the press box talk over the weekend that some of those kids haven't even traveled past Horizon City, you know, going east. So, you know, first of all, for Jefferson to get that game and to get those kids, those experience of going out of town, um, you, may, you know, you see maybe they got down, you know, the, the, it was maybe the moment was a little too much early, but, um, Going just like I talked about Irvin, you know, when you have experienced guys like Agala, Rubio, those talented guys that not only are talented but have been in that situation and, and, and have played in a, in a program um, and a system that fits their strengths, that's what you see in, in a tremendous single-game performance by Nathan Akala. I mean, one of the better performances you're going to see um, – 
out of any kid, you know, at any level, you know, that's just, that's a tremendous performance, a winning performance. And, you know, you talk about setting the tone early in the season, that type of stat output and that type of win on the road, that's going to carry over. And, you know, they got a win, they got a few winnable games coming up early on in the season. And we could be talking about, you know, a Jefferson team that may not have the debt, but has the talent to really, really surprise some people and have a, you know, have one of the more win, the most win totals that we've seen out of the Jefferson program in quite some time. Man, I was so impressed with Isleta's 34-33 victory over Clovis, one of the programs that we know very well in the state. Joe Martinez had his squad ready against Clovis. What a win that they had out of town. Yeah, I was reading an article about that one earlier. Another one of those games where, you know, going out of town, getting that experience, almost like a playoff-like atmosphere. You're playing somebody that you're not um, – you know, very familiar with, you know, Jefferson or excuse me, Isleta replacing a lot of starters that they've had on offense and, and, and going into a, that type of game. That's a big one. You know, that's a big one to put up points and, and to be able to battle through turnovers and, and battle through a consistent team like Clovis has been, um, you know, particularly last year, saying that they won a couple of playoff games uh, going back to last season. So for Isleta, that's a big win on the road. Anytime you can go on the road um, and pull off that win early on the season, all that's going to do is give you confidence. And this has been a program that's starting to become a program that's going to put a point, stuff to beat. They, you know, they keep their offense on the field. They have some playmakers there on the outside. That's going to be key for Isleta to continue to develop, um, to be one of those contenders in their district. And then that right there, it just shows that they're, they're going to be a tough out whether they are an over 500 team overall on the season or not, they're going to be a tough out going out of town and, and building that confidence and having that under their belt already. So in the media kind of landscape, we often talk about just just the different players that, you know, across college, I mean, uh, high school football, we talk about the different uh, storylines of the upcoming weeks. One of the quiet storylines that I heard going into this Friday was, hey, be careful with Horizon Austin. The Scorpions are coming back. Jacob Kihas is ready to go and, you know, upset alert. Horizon really wants to take out Austin early into this season. Well, the Panthers responded very, very nicely with a 32-14 victory over Horizon in that opener. I, I mean, it, it just seems like Austin, while they don't have those stars that they've had in years past, the Witterstodders, the Will Rodriguez's of years past, they have a squad that really, um, you know, kind of plays together as a team. They're going to beat you with their physicality. I, I kind of like that. I really like that victory that they had against Horizon, kind of silencing everybody who was thinking that Horizon may upset Austin. You know, to me, that just, that speaks volumes into the program that Coach Eric Pichardo has built there, you know, hashtag ETW expect to win that's instilled in that program. He's injected that into that program. And, um, you know, you're talking about programs that don't, rebuild they just reload i think we're we're starting to see that we're starting to see that trend with eric pachardo and um jaden wilson 117 rushing yards three teeters on the ground you know could be a star in the making let's see how consistent he can keep that but that's good to see that that austin has a runner um behind that that offense that they run that's run heavy that trap offense that they you know they try to get you in between the tackles and and, and, and basically make you make you out physical them and it's hard to do that some teams you know we're so are so trained to 
to, to stop the spread and, you know, all these three, four defenses that we were seeing out there and those odd fronts and the three, three fives, you know, Austin's has that different style and to have a, a special runner um, like Jaden, uh, Jaden Wilson going for 117 and three touchdowns, that's going to make them even more dangerous. But, you know, what coach Machado's built that toughness on both sides of the ball, playing sound, playing smart, you know, that's, that's what works. That's what I expect out of Austin's teams. And um, like you mentioned, horizon, you know, they aren't, you know, this is a really good and experienced Horizon team. So, you know, I know they have some talent out there with Ernie Garcia and Cuijas. They have a couple of receivers as well. Um, but, you know, for them, trying to figure it out and to keep up in that tough district that they're in too. But it says volumes of what Coach Pichardo has been building. Have been building. Um, and it looks like, you know, like I mentioned, it's not re rebuilding anymore for Austin. You know, when they lose guys, like you mentioned, it's just retooling, knowing what to do. And uh, ETW, baby, shout out to the Panthers. Let's go out to Midland, Odessa. These two out-of-town games are real interesting for me. Uh, Midland beat Montwood 48-24. It looked like the Rams were really hanging in there with the Bulldogs and then just could not push past them in the second half. Midland was able to come back and, and really beat the Montwood Rams in this game uh, handily. And then, uh, speaking of uh, off to a good start, how about Pebble Hills, who really hung in there nicely against Permian? I believe they led at one point 15-7. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Alex, and Permian comes out with the 26 to 15 victory over Pebble Hills in this one. Uh, what, what were your takeaways from these two games? You know, both games kind of went the same early on. It was turnovers that helped the El Paso teams uh, sort of jump out to those early leads. And then it was turnovers late in the game um, that really sort of killed that momentum. And, um, you know, looking at Montwood, they struggled to move the ball throughout that game. I know they were out uh, without their top receiver, Yamil Oaxaca, who had there were some COVID protocols uh, surrounding his, um, his, his absence on Friday. And, you know, Kevin Melendez, was with a bunch of other new receivers that he was trying to get something going. They only had eight first downs. They really didn't move the ball well. So, you know, Montwood was playing sort of left-handed in the sense um, against a really good a Midland team that has a new coach, and they really figured it out on the ground. They ran for over 300 on Montwood. So that's something to keep an eye on. Pebble Hills, same deal. You know, they were in that game due to their, their ability to turn over, you know, to recover three fumbles in that game. Um, but, you know, they threw three interceptions themselves, you know, with that two-quarterback system. So, you know, but – for them to be able to stay hang, hang in that game and stay tough with their defense. That's that shows, you know, maybe Pebble Hills has a little bit of something on the defensive side and they've been known as a, as a program to put up points and yards, something they didn't really do against Permian. Um, so, you know, turnovers that's always going to hurt but you know to, to have those games uh, against teams that you could see in the playoffs and to be able to get that out of the way in week uh, zero week compared to the by district round you know I think that's good game film for both of those coaching staffs to review and have in their back pocket as the season goes on. The Franklin Cougars never shy away from tough competition in their non-district schedules. This year is no different. They lost 35-32 against uh, you know, Rio Rancho Cleveland. In this game, there was a lightning delay. The Cougars, I mean, they, they didn't finish this game until closer to midnight. And what yep. an offseason it really has been for Franklin, who is uh, dealing with that, their head coach and Darren Walker, who is on a leave of absence. Uh, Alex, it, and then also, you know, they're without their star running back, and Stephen Powers. So, Alex, it just seems like right now there's just a lot of um, you know adversity that the Franklin Cougars are facing early on. Maybe not just on the field, but also internally, just just kind of dealing with everything going on. Yeah, and, and credit to Coach McWhorter and the boys for fighting back. I mean, dealing with all that they dealt with and, and waiting around for 
seemed like, you know, that was maybe about six, seven o'clock our time and they didn't get going to about nine o'clock our time. Um, you know, once again, going through the delay and, you know, you know, credit to, to that staff and those kids for continuing to fight back. You could just pack it in at that point and say, you know what, we're already getting beat. I think it was 21 to six. I think when, when it started, um, you know, and they, yep. their ability to fight back and, and show that they have a couple of playmakers um, that are good, that they're going to be a factor in one, six, a. So, you know, going through that adversity and that, in this Franklin program, you know, you go back to the past couple of years, they've dealt with injuries. They've lost guys. They've had some tough things go off, go wrong off the field as well for them. And, you know, this is something that this program has, has really overcome and been a consistent playoff team. And uh, I think we're still going to see that, you know, they showed the playmakers that got off to a rough start, uh, weather and all, but I still think they're going to be a contender like they always are in district one, six, a, and um, you know, a couple playmakers, once they get powers back, um, you know, McWhorter Sonny, I heard he made a couple of big plays. Cameron Burr's a, a very experienced quarterback, been there the past couple of years. They're going to be a factor, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully that everything goes well with Coach Walker. I know he was my PE coach back in the day here, so shout out to Walk. Um, you know, he's, he means a lot to people out here in the Northeast, even though he's been out there at Franklin for a while. Um, but, you know, whatever Coach Walk is going through, man, nothing but love out there to the Walker family. Yeah, I totally echo those sentiments. Darren Walker, great person, a, a legend really here in El Paso for high school football and everything he's done in athletics. So I, I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned that too, Alex. Let's talk about the doubleheader that you covered out at the sack first with Midland Christian handling America's pretty favorably in that first game. And then Eastlake hanging 14 points against El Dorado, beating them 14, uh, excuse me, 48 to 14 in that second game of the doubleheader. Yeah, Midland Christian was a very physical team, and uh, America's didn't help themselves. You know, two turnovers in that first half, uh, you know, when they were the last four minutes of the game, they had two red zone trips down 21 to 7, and they turned the ball over twice. Um, and then the second half, they turned it over on three straight possessions. And, um, you know, kind of the theme of week one that I always look at in high school football, and I've said it a couple of times, where you look at experience versus inexperience. And that was a, a a Midland Christian team that had a three-year starter. They were a state semifinalist last year. Most of their guys are back. Um, then you look at America's, where America's lost 42 lettermen from last year, and they're ushering in a brand-new quarterback, uh, a brand-new running back. By the way, we have another Drennan, Cesar Drennan, um, you know, in the line of, of the Drennan family from America. So we talked about legacy earlier. He looked pretty good out there. You know, they got to figure out some things on the offensive line and really figure out how they're going to roll with this offense. But, you know, I think that's what Patrick Melton has done over the past couple of years is, you know, sees what he has on offense, has a scheme, um, and he's able to sort of tailor to that. And, and But, you know, defensively, too, they lost a lot of pieces. So, you know, they're really rebuilding as far as what they have. I know they're a young team, uh, you know, losing 42 letter and of course, that's going to take you know, that's going to big take a big chunk out of every, uh, out of any program. Um, but you know, they're they're off to that slow start, just trying to figure things out. And then you know, you look at that Eastwood, uh, excuse me, that Eastlake El Dorado game, and man, Eastlake looks very very good. Um, Elijah Uribe returns the opening kick, sixty seven yards. Four plays later, throws a touchdown pass. Um, and then their starting quarterback goes on to throw five touchdowns in the game. You know, that shows um, how talented it, this team is. They have some new weapons out there. Anthony Moreno, uh, another receiver that stood out to me, had a couple touchdown grabs. Um, but defensively, I think that's another thing you, that Eastlake, Eastlake always gets overlooked on. And they have really have a really physical front seven uh, with that Eastlake defense. And I think that's going to be a, a very big key for them. Um, they also have a very talented safety that got a pick. He's an experienced guy out there. So, um, you know, Eastlake, Geo Monitors is the defensive tackle that I wanted to mention. 
big nose tackle creating havoc. They look very, very good. They look like the top team in District 16A. El Dorado has a lot to work on. They have a new head coach, new offensive system, um, you know, really trying to figure out what they're trying to do with the two-quarterback system. So they got some room to grow. They got some talent. Um, but Eastlake, man, they really, really look like a team that, that's going to be hard to stop. Um, double reverses, double passes, they're already starting. And Coach Rodriguez uh, was showing that in the scrimmage and, you know, showing that in week one. And Elijah Uribe could be the top player in the city by week 11, by, by the end of the season. So really good showing for the Eastlake Falcons to start off their season. I like it. First first good take there, Alex. I like the Uribe as possibly a player of hey, player of the season type of candidate right there for Eastlake. I like that a lot. So we've got the Drennans, we've got the Coopers, we've got the Ochoas, uh, we've got do we have any more Orion Olivas brothers? Is there another Olivas member of the family? That's the next one we gotta look at. I don't think so. I've seen I don't I don't think so. I think it's just the older well, he was his older brother was a really good basketball player too. So there's a wow. little uh, and the dad was a star player. I think the dad uh, somebody tweet at me if I'm wrong when, when this is when this is out there. But I think the dad was on the final four team with Coach Forbes uh back in Riverside, back in ninety-four, I wanna say. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. So that Orion that that family already has some legacy as well. So it's it's all in the family out here in the nine one five, man. Now I want to get to the two big games of the week, the Parkland-Eastwood game and definitely the Canyon-Tio-Burgess game. But I'm going to reel off some other final scores. Alex, you just jump in if you want to talk about any of these right here. Del Valle with a 27-7 victory over Coronado. I mean, this one was scoreless midway into the third quarter. I was at Thunderbird Stadium, and uh, the Conquistadors just really uh, took over, especially on the ground game. Coronado couldn't get anything going offensively. It was a really rough going for them to start off their season on uh on another game Gadsden shut out Chaparral 52 to nothing you had Fort Stockton beating Bowie uh this past Friday 32 to 21 how about Riverside with a 63 to 12 victory over El Paso High to get things started for them I love that for head coach Gary Recoder and his Riverside Rangers they got speed they got playmakers and and they got experience, even though a lot of their team is mostly junior, especially their quarterback, uh, Angel Munoz, who's very, very talented. I was hearing an interview about how he's, you know, didn't even come up as a quarterback, but, he, you know, he's transitioned to quarterback at, at the varsity level, and he's looked talented. They're going to be tough in 4A. They got the, they got the two factors. They got the, seat, the, the, the speed and they got the size, and that's, gonna, that's always tough to beat, especially in a 4A district. Cathedral beats Tornillo 54 to nothing. Santa Teresa beats out Fabens 26 to 12. You had Cibola defeating Las Cruces 33 to 21, giving you some regional games right there. Oregon Mountain High School defeated Deming 21 to nothing as well to kind of wrap up the night. But let's get into the two big games because I feel like, and, and you know, I picked these two right here, Alex, just kind of all the storylines that came into these two matchups in the first place and I feel like these were the two most exciting games when you just kind of looked at them we'll start with Eastwood and Parkland we won't talk too much about the Troopers because we'll bring on coach Julio Lopez in just a little bit to talk a little bit more about Eastwood in their season opening victory against Parkland 
35 to 20. Very interesting game. I mean, uh, it was an early fumble on the Matador five yard line for Eastwood. Then the Troopers score on four straight possessions after that, two interceptions and a fumble recovery to help them out defensively. They need to clean up things like penalties, all the penalties that they amassed in this game. Uh, but I was super impressed with Andrew Martinez, 430 passing yards. He had two touchdowns through the air, three rushing touchdowns to close off this game for the Eastwood Troopers. And for Parkland, man, what a game that we saw from Demarion Crest. Six catches, 221 receiving yards for Parkland. Wow, what a game he had for the Matadors. I mean, you know, the theme of week one, you know, and I sound like a broken record by now, but, you know, that I'll take experienced quarterbacks and their teams all day. If we're in a pick em contest or whatever it may be, and um, Andrew Martinez is one of those guys, you know, he just, he gets it done, um, loses some, some of the experienced receivers that he's had around him and, you know, picks it right back up with, you know, hitting his running back out of the backfield, what was it, four or five times for uh, 122 yards, and then Pena had a big night, seven for 169, maybe his, his newest target target Isaiah Pena and um, you know those, those quarterbacks that are just experienced you take them all day long you know what, what, what he was able to deliver on the ground and through the air um, you know and, and Parkland showing that they're going to be uh, they're going to be just what they've been under Eric Franz talented fast they're going to have weapons all over the place um, you know not only did uh, you know not only did the receiver have a big game but also Isaiah Beasley 190 yards two touchdowns and um, you know looking at Damari and Chris six catches 221 yards and a touchdown um, six three 190 pounds I heard about this kid over the summer um, a good friend of mine's actually a, uh, his mother um, you know and then talking about you know how much he's grown and in, in, in his ex- expectations on the season and somebody that I should keep an eye out and boy um, you know when Steve Escajeda was calling his name over and over Friday night, I knew that this kid was something special um, from what I've seen even before he took the field this year. So, um, you know, Parkland's just talented. They got a new quarterback, Albaran, through a couple, uh, through three interceptions there. Um, you know, we'll, I definitely want to talk to Julio Lopez about some of those defensive guys that made a, made plays for uh, Eastwood. But they're going to be tough in that district. It was really, you know, pitting the best 6A team, in my opinion, uh, against the best 5A team in town. You know, when you look at, you know, talent in, in recent history and, and, you know, we got to show, you know, and but, you know, at the end of the day, those experienced quarterbacks, they're going to lead the way. And I think that's going to be East Lakes or excuse me, Eastwood's calling card. And that's what it's been under uh, Julio Lopez. He gets that experienced quarterback, you throw any receivers out there and they're going to be able to move the ball, give teams trouble, put up points. And, um, you know, we're going to see really how tough they are with that tough, tough schedule coming up, you know, because I think this is a very, very tough team uh, that's going to be tough to beat week in and week out, um, no matter who's on their schedule. And really what I want to see over the next few weeks is how far could this Eastwood team go because I think they have the ability um, to really turn some heads when we talk when we're talking about later on in the season with that experienced quarterback and, and very they're going to be very very fun to watch this year Let's move over to that Canutillo Burgess game. This one was, I mean, going into this one, there was so much hype because it was on one side, LJ Martin getting all the Division One offers that he's been getting over the offseason and the big summer that he had versus Tavoris Jones, who had pretty much LJ Martin's summer last summer and uh, has really capitalized on and narrowed his focus in on his committed school, which is Missouri. Tavoris Jones comes into this season with a ton of hype, but under his belt, 
result. Yet in this first game, he struggled mightily against the stifling Kenya Tio defense. They got things started with an interception by Edward Carrillo. It led to quarterback Devin Granados, who you know this guy, Alex. We, we've heard about this guy for a long time, and we've watched him play for the Eagles for years now. He had a 20-yard rushing touchdown. LJ Martin capped, uh, excuse me, a rush, and then LJ Martin capped off a one-yard rushing touchdown. Granados then turns around two drives later, has an 81-yard drive late in the first quarter, and then scores on a 19-yard rushing touchdown. The defense forces a safety early into this one, and it was really Andrew Rutledge, quarterback for the Burgess Mustangs, along with wide receiver Sean Street. Those were the two that really helped Burgess get back into this game. Tavoris Jones, the running back, was held in check by that Kenya Tio defense. Street blocked a punt. He helped turn things around in this one. He had two touchdowns to cut the lead to 29-22. Burgess couldn't capitalize on a fourth and four at the Burgess uh, 34. Uh, excuse me, at the Kenya Tio 34. And uh, that was pretty much how this one wrapped up. Kenya Tio was able to just down it and uh, and wind down the clock. They win 29-22. Great game. It looked like it had blowout potential, but Burgess came back in the second half. You know, what What really surprised me and, and you know, the theme of, of, I guess, my talking point of this podcast has been um, experience. But when you look at Cano Theo's defense, there isn't very much experience returning this year. There was only four starters coming back. And you have an experienced guy like Tavares Jones who really has done it all his whole career, whether it's been at running back, whether it's been catching the ball, you know, even a little bit of quarterback you can throw. Um, that's what's impressive to me is how Coach Brooks, it, well, how he prepared his team to shut down, you know, obviously one of the best weapons in town in Tavares Jones, you know, you know, according to rivals, according to 24-7 sports. So um, that's impressive to me. Coach Brooks continuing to just rebuild, retool on defense um, and bring those – tough sm smash mouth type defenses. And then to have some playmakers like LJ Martin, 160 yards and a couple of touchdowns, that's all, you know, going, you know, looking at revisiting our conversation about Austin, um, you know, and what coach Pachardo's building, you know, that this is what Cano Theo does, you know, they're going to play tough defense. They're going to run the ball. And if they have playmakers, um, you know, like an LJ Martin, you know, like the like the quarterback that you mentioned, Devin Granados, you know, that's what's going to make this team even tougher. Now, one thing that I did hear Coach uh, Brooks talk about is they did get th – they had three tough injuries, one to a star – two starters, I believe, on defense. So depth has always been a concern for Conal Theo. That's something going forward that may be a concern. Um, but, you know, to have just four starters back on defense and to hold the best runner in the city under 60 yards rushing, you know, when pretty much this offense is going to be tailored around Tavares Jones. But same thing with – Burgess as far as rebuilding they have some new tools around their offense to a new quarterback that they're trying to um, implement that you know Andy Rutledge threw three touchdowns so you know as the game went on Burgess starting to figure it out just like coach Neil Rutledge has done at at, at Burgess he's been able to figure it out whether they start slow or whatever it is they're going to be just fine but Canotillo's defense was very very impressed especially with eight new players um, you assume those are underclassmen of course we'll learn as we go on throughout the season but very very impressive start defensively and, and from a uh, you know, X is an O standpoint of Cano Theo being ready to keep sort of keep Tavares Jones in a box. Well, that does it for our weekly recap segment. We're going to take a break. Then we're going to visit with Eastwood football head coach Julio Lopez in just a little bit as we continue here on the Football Friday Night Podcast.
All right, now we have Julio Lopez live with us here on the Football Friday Night Podcast. Coach, your, your team is coming off a 35-20 to 20 victory over the Parkland Matadors. Congrats on the week one win. How's everything been going with you, Coach? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been going good. Um, you know, I, I'm glad we definitely uh, were able to shake some of the rust and finally wake up in the second half. It's always easier to correct mistakes after a win. So, especially against a good team like Parkland, um, you know, everything's been going good. We felt like we had a, a, a good camp, but, you know, we definitely hurt, shot ourselves in the foot a little bit too much that night. So take me through this game because you had a fumble on the Matador five-yard line. Then you turned around, you score on four straight possessions and don't really look back. I mean, what was it that really flipped the script for you? Was it that end zone interception from Christian Munoz? Is that really what swung momentum in this game? Yeah, you know what? Um, one of the concerns I had with not scrimmaging, I mean, and we, we made that choice. So we made the choice not to scrimmage. Uh, we felt like we had a veteran group that didn't necessarily need the scrimmage coming in. Um, we didn't do it last year and we came out looking sharp in week one. So we felt like we can get away with it again this year. I got to be honest, I think it, it kind of backfired on, on us a little bit because that first half, the things that you we saw were kind of all things that you would probably typically typically see in a scrimmage I mean just costly penalties at the wrong time we had the big fumble where Sammy breaks a huge uh you know a huge run after the catch gets down to the five gets hit from behind and the ball pops out on the first drive of the game uh, we missed some throws that we shouldn't have you know it, it was just you know like I said you know that first half was just kind of what I think we would have seen in a scrimmage as far as working the kinks out uh, but we got in at halftime we never panicked we you know, we knew that that we had the firepower um, to certainly overcome a seven-point game. And, yeah, I would say Christian's interception off that first drive. You know, they're driving down. Um, they're inside, I believe, the 25 or the 20. And, you know, Christian made a great break on the ball, picked it off. And, you know, we never looked back after that. I think we scored four straight times after that. Um, three of them were off turnovers. So you just felt the momentum completely shift our way. And, and then again, you know, we were just really happy to come out with a good win against a good football team. And how experience sort of is infectious in terms of, of terms of winning early on in the season. How much do you credit Andrew's experience uh, for really getting you going and, and his his momentum and his playmaking ability that, and also some of the uh, some of the emotion that he was showing to kind of get the guys going. How big is that for you early on in the season? Uh, you know, to have that sort of in your back pocket—that's something that you really just can't coach. That you have that experience there on the field for you. Yeah, you know what? Definitely with with Andrew. Uh, behind center, you know what? It, it feels like I have a 10-year NFL vet at quarterback. You know, he, he came in two years ago, did a great job replacing Chris. You know, when Chris got hurt, he had a great year last year where obviously he led us to a great year, a district title, a lot of success in a, in a short and weird year where we needed that leadership. And then this year, I've just seen his maturity level just increase exponentially. I mean, it, he's just so, such a calm, cool, collective guy. To be honest, all the passion that you saw Friday night is kind of not him because he's typically a really quiet leader, kind of just the, he's not really, he doesn't show a ton of emotion on Friday night. So I was actually, you know, for all of us, we were really happy to finally kind of see that because I, I felt like, you know, uh, we needed that, especially at that those moments in the game. So, you know, having a guy like that, having guys like Isaiah Pena, who is, uh, I mean, gosh, you know, I, 
I know we talk a lot about the performance um, that that obviously you know Parkland had at the wideout position with you know with us being mossed every other third down basically. But um, you know Isaiah Pena is as good as they get, and I'm just going to tell you now if that guy stays healthy um, between him and all, and all the, the wideouts that we have with the starting four and then Sammy in the backfield, it, you know, Andrew has weapons galore out there. So, you know, seeing his maturity, seeing his leadership, and then the weapons that surround him, I think set up for one, what could be one of the most special years a quarterback has had, um, certainly at Eastwood High School, but maybe even in the city. Coach, when we're talking about things to possibly uh, clean up, is do you look at the penalties as that first thing that you want to emphasize this week in practice for your team? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I, that's obviously – I think every head football coach would tell you that penalties come, especially when they come at the absolute wrong times. Like, for example, we had a penalty on a third and 12 where the quarterback gave himself up and we end up diving kind of over him. We get called for a personal foul and extends the drive. You know, things like that are certainly things that we want to clean up. We want to make sure that we don't do that because ultimately in close games, those could be the difference between a win or a loss. I would say for me, what what I just want to see cleaned up was some of the moments where we didn't capitalize. You know, Sammy's big run down, that you know, that first drive, we punched that in at 7-0 right off the bat in the first three minutes. You know, that's something we got to clean up. We had a third down um, going the other way in the second quarter. Chance to, I think at that point, to go up 14-7. Uh, we missed a wide open Isaiah Pena on the corner of the end zone. You know, and we didn't capitalize. Then we missed the field. So it was little things like that that I think that I'm looking more at as far as on the execution side of things. I think penalties, you know, obviously, again, any football coach is going to tell you you want to limit them. And that's certainly something we're going to clean up. But. I think for me, it was more just the execution in the first half that I didn't see at times that, again, I, I don't know if you attribute it to rust or not having the scrimmage, but I, I just felt like that's something we want to clean up going into this week against Hank. Oh, you talked about Andrew having multiple weapons, and it seems like that's the theme of your Eastwood teams. You go back to uh, Mark and Richie and then, you know, to, to Christian and, and, and all you know, to Chris Castaneda and, and all the receivers that he has, and now – with Andrew and his group, you know, w- without giving obviously the, the secrets of the program, but w- what's what's sort of behind that consistency where you're able to continue and, and not only just continue to produce, but develop these guys to where, yeah, they're, you know, making these stats and they look good as far as, as statistic wise, but they're making smart plays as far as those third down plays and, you know, some of the play calls where they execute, you know, well, what's really behind that continued success that you've been able to develop quarterbacks receivers that just sort of get it in a sense. Yeah. I, I think first off, you, you just, you got to look at the pipeline that we have. So Eastwood middle Eastwood Knowles, our feeders in general, we, we've, we've done a great job over the last seven years of, you know, you know, keeping our kids home. I mean, that's important. All of our kids, you know, really, really, I, I would say 95%, if not more, um, are all from Eastwood Middle, Eastwood Knowles. I mean, truly homegrown kids that that went through our feeder and ended up coming to us. So, you know, I think that's number one. I think that number two, it, you know, I, I really credit our staff. I credit our offensive system for putting these players that we get, these great athletes, these great football players, putting them in situations where they can be successful. I would argue that our quarterbacks have um, as much power over decision-making than any quarterback in the city for sure. And maybe some even across the state with all of our RPOs and the way we run our offense, we never handcuff 
our quarterback. We truly make it their decision. Every play, if you look at our film, Andrew has about three or four options that he is going to make that choice. And it's a run play. It's a bubble screen out wide. It's a, it's a hitch route. It's a, you know, slants, you know, behind a run play. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we put on the, in the quarterback's lap. And we've done a great job of preparing the quarterbacks to make those decisions. And then again, we, I, I think that we've just done a great job of really putting our explosive athletes in, in open field and in a system that really allows them to be successful. Um, and that takes the staff, that takes the, the players buying in. And, and I just believe in what we do. You know, since we got hired, we have not changed. I mean, there's, you, you know what you're getting when you play us, you know, and it's not like there's a, you know, we'll add a couple of wrinkles every now and then, but the same offense you saw 2015 with Mark and Richie and, and that show that, and Aaron Portillo and guys like that, that they put on, it's the same show you're seeing on Friday night against Parkland. I mean, there's not really a whole lot. And I think because we are so systematic in our approach to offense or <clears throat> to our offensive system, um, I just feel it sets us up for success and it sets us up to utilize our players' skill sets to the best of their ability. Coach, uh, I was asking, I went on this long, long rant about Andrew Martinez. And what I basically was saying is, you know, with a quarterback like Andrew Martinez, he's going through a pivotal offseason where it's it's one that he is he had a lot of eyes on him last year. He rose to the occasion, helped the Eastwood Troopers in a big way. What was it about, you know, taking that next step for him this offseason? And can you elaborate on kind of his work ethic and what he was able to do to take that next step? Yeah, let, let me let me just tell you something about Andrew and, and you know, I I think this term really got um, used up and really, really kind of out there uh, with the Jordan documentary and just how bad he wanted to win and how bad and and, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, looking at Andrew, um, his competitive greatness, meaning how how he competes on a daily basis, how bad he wants to win the intangible part of him as a quarterback is what I think you're, you're seeing now. Um, and not, not that it wasn't there last year, because obviously he led us to a lot of success, but this kid just wants to win. And I think first and foremost, that's, that's one of the key pieces that makes him so good and, and so successful and, and, and thrive in our system. The second is this, this off season. I, I just, you know, he's always been a hard worker. I, I would, I would say that this off season, he took the physical aspect of the offseason more seriously than ever before, meaning he hit the weight room. He put on about 15 or 20 pounds of muscle. He had a great um, offseason in the weight room. And with, you know, obviously he's always been super fast, but I, I just felt like he took that part uh, probably more serious now than ever. Um, and then again, I think just in the offseason, I, I think he just understood that as the quarterback of our program, he's the face of our program. He's the leader. He's a, uh, he's a captain. He, he's the guy that we're, we all look to like, for example, Friday night, you know, we're sputtering on offense. We're down 14, seven, you know, we get into the locker room and we told them, look, man, I mean, you're the guy we got to look in your eyes and, and everybody's got to see, uh, you know, your fire, your passion, your energy. We, we got to, they got to see you fired up because they're going to respond to you. And not that he wasn't showing that in the first half, but immediately that's where you see that big run. That's where you see him show that energy, that passion, that excitement. And then all of a sudden we score 28 in a heartbeat. So, you know, I just think he understands um, how vital he is to this team and how vital he is to our success. And like I said, I think if I could just say one pause, the, the main thing about him that I think what makes him great, it's just that competitive nature and that competitive greatness he 
shows every day in practice, every day in the weight room. He's there every day. He's committed. He's first one in, last one out type of guy. And I, we just, you know, we just can't be more happy with his development in our program, obviously going into his senior year. Coach, uh, kind of wrapping things up and really appreciate all the time today. You were at Aggie Memorial Stadium yesterday to watch the Battle of I-10, watch UTEP defeat NMSU 30-3. to Your thoughts on that game and getting a chance to watch some former troopers as well. Yeah, well, first off, it, it you know, just being in, in a stadium and, and even going back to Friday, the, the environment, uh, gosh, I, I just – I miss that. I think we all miss that in football, in high school football, college football, just just hearing the crowd, seeing the crowd, uh, hearing the oohs and ahs after big plays. I mean, I, I miss that. So, you know, Saturday, yeah, we took the family out there. It was it was nice to, you know, as you know, obviously it's been a while. Well, I wouldn't say it's been a while, but there's not there hasn't been a lot of times over the last, you know, few years that we've been able to to really go into the fourth quarter knowing UTEP was going to win and dominate the way you know they kind of should but uh, no it was it was just it was good to see Joe Mediato out there uh big Joe was our tackle last year he suited up on the sidelines I believe he's going to redshirt this year but he was over there on the UTEP sideline David Ash on the NMSU sideline um you know it's just it, it's a lot of fun to see those guys out there thriving and doing their thing and and then again to see UTEP come out on top uh what was a, you know, just a good feeling, just a good feeling to cap the football weekend. And, um, you know, again, I just, I just, the, the sense of normalcy with being in a stadium again and going to a college football game with my family. I think that's what I missed more than anything else. Hey coach, really appreciate all the time again. And uh, love always talking some football with you. Good luck to you and the Eastwood troopers who are one and zero on the season as they take on Hanks this upcoming Friday, seven o'clock kickoff for that game. Coach really appreciate it again. Yeah. Love getting on with you guys. And, and uh, you know, thanks for having me on. All right, wrapping things up right now with Alex Nikolas. You could follow him on Twitter at NicholasAlex915. Is that right, Alex? Did I get that right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Great great to hear. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the stars from this past week. First off, Alex, give me one offensive player that really stood out to you this past week for the week one of Football Friday Night. Um, you know, I, I teased it earlier about him being a, an early MVP, city MVP candidate, at least in my world. Um, Elijah Uribe, I mean, starts the game off with that 67 kick, uh, 67 yard kickoff return and then throws a touchdown and then goes on to, to catch three touchdowns, run for a hundred, uh, run for 112 yards, caught 113 that I had him. I think the official stats were a little bit different, but um, his impact, his vision, his speed, his size, he was finishing his phys- his runs physically on the sidelines. He really stood out to me. He would be my player of the game with those three touchdown catches, threw for a touchdown, and then had over 100 rushing and, and receiving. And I even threw him a, a shout-out on, on the radio. You, you remember uh, the uh, – the Friday Night Lights movie when Booby Miles' uncle's talking about, and he can pass. Well, that was Elijah Uribe <laughs> on Friday night because he did a little bit of everything, man. And that, that was fun to watch. What a really, really good performance. 
I'm going to go with Andrew Martinez, quarterback for Eastwood. Over 400 passing yards in his debut. Two touchdowns through the air, like I said earlier. Three rushing touchdowns on the ground. Um, just like we talked to uh, head coach Julio Lopez, this man did a lot over the offseason to try to get to where he's at right now. And the Troopers have a very challenging non-district schedule, which I'm excited to just see how they maneuver through it. Um, going over to the defensive side of the ball, Alex, who really stood out to you as your star of the week on defense? you got to go to Thursday night. Uh, Damon Espinosa from Andrews' defensive end had two big sacks that uh, really put the game away. And, and we talked about Andrews' his talent on their defensive line. And Espinosa was one that was really, really getting after it. So a great performance by him. Um, also, Jaime Guerrero, a very experienced player from East, uh, from East Lake, uh, had an interception in that game. And then uh, Caleb Gutierrez uh, forced two fumbles. Actually, one of them, he stripped it. Uh, recovered himself. He's a defensive end, all-district defensive end from uh, El Dorado. So a couple of defensive guys that stood out to me. Uh, really, I, I like my linemen, so had a shout-out to defensive linemen there uh, for the big days on, on, on off the edge. I'll shout out Nathan Alcala for the Jefferson Silver Foxes. Two interceptions on defense. He had one return back for a touchdown. I'll also give another shout out to defense alignment Eddie Cardenas for San Elizario. He had a sack, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery in their 41-0 victory over Anthony. Looking ahead to next week, Alex, there's some interesting, interesting games, to say the least. On Thursday, Austin takes on El Dorado for a for a strange game. What do we even make of this matchup right here between the Panthers and Aztecs? You know, for El Dorado, it's about, you know, figuring out who's going to take over at quarterback. Is it going to be Richard Portillo? Is it going to be Quincy Estrada? The big uh, wrench in that one is uh, during garbage time, the last two minutes, Estrada came up uh, with a lower leg injury. So, you know, is it Richard Portillo's team to take over? You know, that's what Eldorado's still figuring out early. I think Eldorado has the talent um, to fight for that fourth, maybe even third playoff spot. But this is one of those games going up against a perennial playoff team and a team that showed they can hold explosive offenses. You know, example, Horizon and and this Austin defense. So both teams really trying to build off of what happened last week, in a sense. Even though El Dorado lost 48-14, to there was some things that they did well in that game to build on. It just depends on what direction they go. And then for Austin, can they continue building that expect to win attitude and go on the road across town and beat a team that's, that's, that's going to have a little bit more speed than them, uh, you know, as far as playmakers on the outside. So that's going to be a very interesting matchup of who can continue building off of what happened last week, whether it was negative or positive. Looking at Franklin, Midland, Christian, Montwood, it's, and San Angelo Central, those are two really intriguing matchups for two 1-6A teams who fell this past week and losing, you know, Montwood losing to Midland High this past week, the Cougars losing to Rio Rancho Cleveland. I mean, they, they, they both face some tough tasks uh, in this upcoming week in non-district play. Those are those matchups to me. When I hear those matchups with the El Paso team, those are always the physicality checks. How physical can you be, um, and how healthy can you come out of that game after being physical for four quarters? Those that's your test early on in the season. That's going to test how well um, you prepared in the off season, how how well your off season camp went. That's what I look at when I look at both of these teams. <coughs> Excuse me. When we when you're talking about playing that type of caliber of opponent, Midland Christian. Did a number on America's physically, <coughs> excuse me, you know, and, and uh, 
San Angelo Central is always physical, always fast, always has a very good quarterback. So that's going to be a big test for both of those teams and a real measuring stick to see, okay, these are two obviously playoff teams in the respective districts in Midland Christian and San Angelo Central. Where do we stack up Physic- physically, scheme-wise, and, and where, do, where do we need to improve to get to that level? And I think for both teams, that's going to be the theme. And obviously staying healthy, you know, because those are some really, really tough games against some opponents that have a little bit more depth than El Paso teams normally. Then we got to talk about the Northeast rivalry, Parkland-Andrews. Where do we even start on this one? This is, this is the one that intrigues me most next week with Parkland. Of course, they, they need a victory after falling to Eastwood this past week. And for Andrews, they want to build more momentum following their victory over their other rival in Chapin. So uh, I love this matchup for so many reasons. Yeah, and this is one that, you know, looking at it, trying to figure out the history of the last time Andrews Parkland played, I, mean, I think you got to go back to somewhere in the mid to late 90s. So it's been wow. quite a while since these two have faced off. I know this is something that Coach Eric Franz um, wants to keep going. He wants to have, um, you know, Parkland playing the Irvins and the Andreses and the Chapins every year. You know, this is these are two playoff teams. These are two of the best teams from District 1, 5A, D2, District 2, 5A, D2 over the past four to five seasons. And they finally get to meet, um, you know, these kids are, the school is, you know, maybe less than two miles away from each other. Um, coach Franz was a defensive line coach under uh, Alan Sepkowitz back in the early 2000s. He was actually my defensive line coach at Andrus, um, helped win some district there titles there, won some by district titles. So there's history there uh, between Andrus and Parkland. So, um, and, and not to mention the talent, you know, on both sides, you know, Parkland's very, very young. But clearly, they gave Eastwood a very, very good Eastwood team that is a run for their money. And we talked about Andrus, as talented as they are, the, as uh, what they did against Chapin. The key is going to be depth. Which team's depth is going to step up? Obviously, the playmakers are going to have their say. Your Damari and Crest, your Isaiah Beasley's, your, uh, your Malachi Doe's, your Jeremiah Cooper's. Who else is going to step up? I think that's going to be big early on the season for both coaches to find that third, fourth playmaker, whether it's on offense or defense. So this game, whether win or loss, it's going to help either team, you know, heading into a district title chase and a playoff run. Um, but, man, it's just going to be fun to watch all that speed on the talent, all that speed and talent on the field. And then that little edge, you know, that little rivalry. You know, we want to beat those guys uh, across McCombs. I'm Andrews guy. So, uh, you know, I love you, Coach Franz. But, hey, man, we want, we want, to, we want to have a little bragging right it's been a while since <laughs> anderson parkland uh played and you know i think i not that i think i really hope that this it becomes a yearly uh you know budding rivalry or rekindling of a rivalry um that you know pits you know the top five a programs in el paso so is it a rivalry i mean are you pushing back a little bit saying that hey it's not a traditional rivalry but just because of you know it's the proximity of the two schools just how pretty much everybody knows everybody at both schools is that what makes this a rivalry i mean what what would you do how would you define this matchup yeah i think so for sure you know from a traditional standpoint it's not you know parkland irvin andrus irvin andrus chapin um you know some things that we see every year but you know these teams have seen each other in the standings. They've seen their stats. They've seen their recruits go one way, the other recruit go the other way or cross paths, whatever it may be. I mean, you know, you're looking at Hatib Lyles at Parkland and, and Deion Franklin's at UTEP now, uh, or Deion Hankins, excuse me, at, at, at UTEP. So, you know, that's what I look at. You know, these, these schools know that they've had talent. They've known they're right across the street. They just haven't faced each other. So while it may not have a traditional uh, rivalry on paper, I guarantee you those stands are going to be crazy, man. And I, 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 
we'll be out of town next week. So it, it sucks that I can't be in that atmosphere. But man, uh, it's it, like the kids say, it's going to be turned up in the seven and nine two four next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Kenya Tio Eastlake. That's the other game I want to highlight for this oh, upcoming yeah. week. Man, I was so excited for this one. From what you saw from Eastlake, from what we heard about Kenya Tio in that Burgess game, LJ Martin is going to be the key for Kenya Tio, along with that defense coming back, being consistent, and showing up for a second week in a row. Is that too much of a task for the Eagles against a very, very talented Eastlake team? Well, their depth's going to be tested. I think we will find that out. Um, you know, Eastlake is a very, very good 6A team. Like I mentioned, you know, there's right now, in my opinion, you have one A and one B and one 6A, and that's Eastwood and, and Eastlake. And you can put them either or. They're still, the, you know, they're both the top teams. And then um, with that depth that they have in the town that Eastlake has for Conotillo, that's going to be a key. Can they keep up with the speed? Do they have enough depth to hang with them? Um, how many plays can LJ Martin make? You know, that's really going to be an, another um, question as well. You know, can they keep up if this turns into a shootout? Um, you know, is this a game where, where Conotillo can keep up with them? Very good litmus test for Conotillo because they're going to face a team with the same sort of schematic talent, if you will, like a Parkland, you know, maybe even like a Sleda to a certain standpoint with the way that Eastlake runs that spread offense. So a very good measurement game, a very good game that coach, um, that coach Brooks picked up. I know they were sort of district rivals building there over the past couple of years when, when Eastlake was in 5A. Um, and Eastlake was in that 5A district with, with Del Valle and, uh, and Canotillo. So, you know, these coaches know a little bit about each other. It's not so much a foreign matchup. So, it's just, to me, it's going to come down to depth and execution. Um, and Eastlake was very good at execution last week, and so was Canotillo. So, you know, this is going to be a, an ultimate chess match, type, chess match type of game, I think, if this, especially if it's close in the fourth quarter. Alex, that'll wrap us up for this week. Want to give a big thanks to Julio Lopez, head coach at Eastwood Troopers, for joining us in our second segment. As always, Alex, great to work with you. We'll be back again next week. Actually, you're taking next week off. Are we doing this podcast next week? Maybe you got to postpone next week and then and then move forward to week three. Is, is that what I'm hearing right now? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, we should pick it up after week three. We'll have plenty to talk about then. Perfect. More matchups about start to come about. Sounds good to me, Alex. As always, appreciate the work. Great stuff as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks, all right? All right. Sounds good, Adrian.